0: Well, thank you for joining me for this week's Bible study. We're starting a new series and it's going to really be about some of the strangest Bible stories and trying to figure out what was the story really about? What did it symbolize and what was its meaning? So this first one of the series is Elisha causing the iron axe to float. The mysterious axe is what I call this. And you can find it in 2 Kings, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to go through that with you. So this might be a little bit longer study than normal. And here's what it says. One day, the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River, where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. "'Please come with us,' someone suggested. "'I will,' he said. So he went with them, and when they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe fell into the river. "'Oh, sir,' he cried, "'it was a borrowed axe. "'Where did it fall?' the man of God asked. "'When he showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick.' and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. That's a great story. I love that story, but never took the time to truly understand, okay, so you caused an axe to float. Why? What's the point? What's the message here? Let's look at a couple of the verses. We'll break down a couple of those verses. In that very first verse, the place where we dwell with thee, the margin of the Bible says it's it's where they sit before thee. The one points to a common residence, the other is to a common place of meeting. So they were meeting in a central area where they actually lived and they were running out of room. So the tenor of the narrative shows that the humble condition of Elisha's pupils. He was a teacher of them. The place was either Bethel or Jericho, probably the latter. The ministry and the miracles of Elisha brought great accessions or leadership to his school. He really was able to validate what he was teaching. The place where they were meeting was probably too small because they had grown in size, leading us to believe that the the prophets that were there were married and were multiplying. They were growing. When you look at that verse 2, it says, let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs, there we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Well, apparently it didn't look like Elisha was interested in going with them. So they asked him to come and then he agreed. That piece of conversation was kind of strange to me, but he agreed and he went with him. and just didn't seem that interested. Well, the ax was borrowed literally they describe that word as being begged. So the scholar's distress really arose from the consideration that it had been presented to him and that owing to his poverty he couldn't really procure another one. So Elisha tells him to cut down a stick and cast it in where you know, where the axe was last seen. Although this means was used, it had no natural adaptation to make the iron swim. Besides, the Jordan at Jericho was so deep and rapid that there was probably one in a thousand chances to one against the stick falling into the hole of the actual axe head. So I don't think that was going to happen and it doesn't tell us that that happened. The key to this message is verse six, when Elijah cast the stick into the water. It's what he did, not what he said, that made the difference that all of a sudden illuminated him as a man that was more than a teacher but he was an example of leadership and one who really practiced what he preached. Jesus taught us to cast all of our cares upon him, did he not? There's a lot to be said about casting. If we look at Isaiah chapter 38 verse 17 it says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back <laughs> so the sins can never be seen in other words he threw them back so they can't even be recovered he threw them behind him if you look at psalms 55:22, cast thy burden upon the lord and he shall sustain thee he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved now here he is cast your burdens in other words lift it up and heave it give it to him toss it out there Ecclesiastes 11 1 there's even a song written about this and it says cast your bread upon the waters for after many days you will find it again that's a good one because it's really saying to invest in other people and, and maybe even it's in the ministry but he's saying whatever it is that you invest God's money in for a godly purpose, it's gonna come back to you. You don't have to worry about it. You're not gonna lose it. It's a good investment. Remember the proverb in uh, Proverbs chapter 16 says that the person who lends to the Lord because they give to the poor, they can't go wrong. That's the essence of that verse. If the Lord is your lender, he's gonna pay you back. I think that's important for us to keep that in mind. Casting bread or sowing seed on water seems to be an exercise in futility when you think about it, but you don't know what the actual results will be, says Solomon. In faith, be generous, and in faith, expect a return somewhere down the road. This goes along with Proverbs eleven eighteen: The one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. And Galatians 6, 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's a real important factor. The passage as a whole communicates that the principle of doing as much good as you can, knowing two things, the results are in God's hands, and you don't have to know when you yourself will be in need or if someone else is generosity. John 21 6 says that throw out your net. This is Jesus talking to these disciples. He says, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Now they've been fishing all day and all night and haven't caught anything. So they were kind of beside themselves all of a sudden Jesus is the fisherman. <laughs> so so they did what he said. They did it. They did something about it. So they did and they couldn't haul the net in Because there were so many fish in it. Well, let me read it from the King James Version. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in from the multitude of fishes. Jesus told the disciples to cast their nets on the other side, and they caught more than they could handle. Doing things that the direction of Jesus will always benefit you and others around you. The Bible talks a lot about this casting. Casting down, casting out, casting your cares, casting your nets, casting lots, casting stones, casting judgment. So you can see there's some negative sides to this as well. But Jesus really speaks to the positive. What are we casting out in our lives? Here's the four-way test. One, is it the truth? Secondly, is it fair to all concerned? Third, will it build goodwill and better friendship? Fourth, is it beneficial to all concerned? Herbert J. Taylor was the author of the four-way test. He was a member of the Chicago Rotary Club and a very prosperous businessman. And this is really the four-way test that the Rotary Clubs use across the nation. Interestingly though, Herb originally wrote the test, not for rotary, but for a troubled business that he had taken over. But it got adopted by these clubs as their true mark of leadership and what they should be doing, what is right. So is the ax floating or sinking in your life? Can you reach out and grab the ax that God has put before you? That's why it's so important that our prayer life is linked with our scripture reading. Often we look at prayer and scripture scripture reading as two distinct spiritual disciplines without much overlap. Prayer was never meant to be a monologue. It was meant to be a dialogue. In the book, The Circle Maker, written by Mark Batterson, he addresses this issue about prayer. He notes that prayer is our part Scripture is God's way of initiating a conversation. Prayer is our response. Common sense, wouldn't you think? But do we really think of it that way? Now it makes sense. I like what Mark Batterson wrote about prayer. He said that the paradigm shift happens when you realize that the Bible wasn't meant to be read through. The Bible was meant to be prayed through. And if you pray through it, you'll never run out of things to talk about. The Bible is a promise book and a prayer book and while reading is reactive, prayer is proactive. Mark Batterson's church runs a coffee shop called Ebenezer's Coffee House. It has been voted the number one coffee house in the metro district of DC. This coffee house used to be an old crack house just five blocks from the Capitol area. Every penny of profit goes to local community projects and their humanitarian efforts in other countries. I encourage you, you if you ever go to D.C., you should stop by there sometime just to pay a visit. It's an establishment that illustrates how prayer works. I just want us to keep this in mind when we think about our prayer life and making our acts float. Psalms 84 11 says, For the Lord God is our son and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. God wants to do the heavy lifting in our life. He wants to do the heavy lifting of the acts in our life. You have to trust the favor of God to do for you the things you cannot do. You have to trust God to change hearts even the hearts to Pharaoh, even if it meant that he has to cause a donkey to talk to you, or if he has to have a whale swallow you up to get your attention. When we read the Bible, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. I love that statement. The word follow is a hunting terminology in Hebrew. It's like God is hunting you down to give you his blessings. Not to do anything mean but he he wants you to know that he's got blessings waiting for you God wants to show us his mercy but too often we're running away from it like Jonah did in the Bible. I remember George Morgan bless his heart he's passed on to the Lord George Morgan commented one time he said about that verse he says surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of the life and he says I get that he said but what's surely got to do with all this? Well, you have to understand George. George is a, a very humorous man, and he really loved the Lord. Talk about a person. Uh, he went home to be with the Lord all right, but uh, he, he's a man that will never be forgotten about his prayer life. Uh, George surely is resting in the arms of the Lord today. That was George. That was his life. He casted all the cares that he had on the Lord. I don't ever remember George having an axe that he couldn't find. He had plenty of times where the axe got tossed out into the river, but he knew how to pray out of it, and God answered his prayers. God can do the same for us. I tell you, get on your knees. It's important. God bless you today.